Pastor David and his family have enjoyed a few days away, plus some other things that he's doing as far as checking on some things for our church. But we're grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Uh, and I want us to begin by sharing a personal story that, uh, of my family in the fact that uh, I'm the youngest of four children uh, to my parents. And when my dad was in his early to mid-30s, uh, he had been wrestling with a call to the ministry for many, many years. And uh, through some time of prayer with my mom and my dad together, uh, he made that commitment to enter into the ministry. But the first thing he said is a, as a call to preach is a call to prepare. And so he uh, resigned his job that he had. And with four children, he and my mom entered into a, a journey in which they started to what was then called Howard College, uh, located brand new back in those days on Lakeshore, now Sanford University, grown to a great university. But they began a journey of five years at Sanford, and then we went on to Texas for him to go four years through seminary. So a long journey through my childhood of them being in school and uh, the, what that impact it had on our family. But in that period of time, when they were at, uh, particularly at Sanford, they would take uh, some of the same classes, mom and dad together, sitting in the class together. And so they would have one book that they would share between the two of them. And my, my, uh, my dad was an early riser, so he would get up early in the morning and do his study. And then mom would stay up late at night and study and prepare for class. Well, dad had, uh, through those years, he served on staff at Huffman Baptist for a couple of years, then went to South Avondale Baptist where he served on staff. And while he was there one day in his office, he came upon a verse of scripture that he thought was very appropriate for the place in life where they were. Psalm 127, verse 2. You don't need to turn there. It'll be on the screen. It says, it's vain that you rise up early and go to late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We thought that was a very appropriate verse, and so he called home to tell my mom to read this verse of Scripture, just thought it was funny and uh, humorous and touched their life. Well, mom was not home. She also had the full-time job of keeping up with four children and go to school and keep up with a household, so she was out buying groceries. And so when she came into the house, my older sister, who was about sixth or seventh grade at that time, stuck a Bible under my mother's nose and said, Dad said for you to read this. But she did not turn to Psalm 127 verse 2. She turned to Psalm 120 verse 2 that says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips <laughs> and from a deceitful tongue. So my mom called my dad and said, what's up with this? And he said, well, I thought it applied to our situation. <laughs> and so they had an exchange over the phone for a little while that eventually dad realized mom had read the wrong verse, which made him laugh, which made it even worse. And, and then he came home and that, that all got settled. But it was a, a story that we've had in our family for years. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. Well, lying lips are something that's very easy for us to have. In fact, it's one of the first things you learn to do once you begin to talk. 
You probably learn how to lie a lot quicker than you learn how to speak kindly or politely or tactfully. You learn to lie. And we don't need to uh, search very far to find that the core cause for that goes back into the book of Genesis in the very beginning with Adam and Eve in that right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve had disobeyed and had uh, committed uh, the trans, uh, transgression against what God had said to them, that as God came to in the garden, came and approached Adam, he said, where are you, Adam? Of course, God knew where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to have to admit where he was. And Adam said, I hid myself because I was naked. And he didn't hide himself because he was naked. He'd always been naked. He hid himself because he had violated a transgression. He had transgressed against a command of God. And so very early we see that lying is a very... Uh, universal event that happens. We do that. We have deceitful tongues. Jeremiah says the heart is deceptive, and we have that deceptive heart in which we want to, to do that which we should not. One survey said that 91% of people surveyed admitted to the fact that they occasionally would lie. And the other 9% lied that they had <laughs> not done that. But So that's something that's kind of universal for us. And we do that to cover up our sin or cover up a transgression. We do it to avoid consequences of what we have done or to protect ourselves, Or maybe even you justify the statement that you're lying to protect someone from pain. Uh, after the service, this past service, people came out and they're very gracious. They said nice words to me and they'd say, good sermon. I said, you're not lying, are you? And, uh, <laughs> and because it's, it's just so easy for it to come out and we want to protect people from what's going on. But as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, there should be no deceit. There should be no exaggerations. There should be, should be no misleading statements that we might make. That as a follower of Jesus Christ, the integrity of our words should be very important. We should be true to our words. You, as a follower of Christ, we as followers of Christ, need to be true to our words as we speak. And Jesus is sharing in a passage that we have from the book of Matthew that we'll be examining this morning. He shares in what is uh, six antithesis statements in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He then goes into talking about how that we are to be salt and light into this world. He said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and to bring it full and to fulfill what the, word, the meaning of the law is. And so it branches him into six statements, six statements of antithesis, which is, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And so these six statements, Pastor David has already led us through looking at one that was the kickoff one that dealt with stating that, uh, uh, you know, that if you uh, had, you say that you, you kept up with the fact that you do not have, uh, you've not murdered. That's the first one. You have not committed murder. He said, but if you have uh, hatred in your heart for someone 
then you are guilty. Others say, well, I've never committed adultery. But if you have lust in your heart, you have these things. And so these are things that we have. And Pastor David also said in that time uh, back when he preached that sermon on anger, uh, if you'll remember, he said that uh, it would be helpful if we had set up at all of the doors as you entered into the sanctuary, if you had anger in your heart, or if you had expressed anger toward others, that if you walked in, there would be this beeping sound that to, to be a, a warning that this person has had anger in their life. So how, if, how about if we had lie detectors set up at all the doors, and that as any of us entered in, and if this week, if we had had used lies, or if this today we entered in with a heart that is deceitful, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't make a beeping sound, nor would it be the kind of lie detector that had like the gauge of things going up, but rather when you walked in the door, and if you had lies in your heart, deceit in your heart, your pants would spontaneously combust into fire. <laughs> And we would all see, liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> but, but we, and I said this in the last hour, uh, in case you're getting worried that we on the staff are becoming obsessed with uh, detectors and such, we're not. <clears throat> and I, I did mention this, that in my previous church, that someone came into my office one day and said that they had been in the recreation center, they put coins into the vending machine but did not get their drink, their beverage. And so I said to them, well, our machines are set that once you rise to the level of a tithe, then you start getting your... <laughs> and that, among many other reasons, is why that's my former church. And that's, and, uh, but anyway, getting back to where we're supposed to be here in this passage. These six antithesis statements in which Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. What was happening in that day and time was individuals did not have a copy of the Word of God for their own use. They could not go sit under a tree with the Word of God and study it. They could not get up early in the morning and have their quiet time with a copy of the Word of God. They were dependent upon the scribes and the teachers of the law. They would go into the synagogue and they would hear the Word taught. And so Jesus is taking what is being taught in that day, that which has been twisted just a little bit, corrupted just a little bit, and he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. So turn to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33 through 37. Matthew chapter 5, verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. 
So when Jesus shares these, this antithesis, you have heard it said, but I say. All of these are the very essence of what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. All of these statements share with us the essence of who we're, we should be. Although we may externally not commit murder, but yet internally within our heart we have hatred towards some other, another. Although externally we may not commit adultery, but internally within our heart we have lust. Although we may not externally express things that appear to be the, uh, the, a falsehood or an untruth, within our heart if we speak words that we know are not true. So he takes the external uh, appearance, he brings the very essence of who we are to be as followers of Christ, he brings it into the internal matter of how we live in relationship with God, and he says to us that the ethics by which we live, we should live as a follower, and Je a follower of Jesus Christ of the very highest ethical standards that there can be. We should do that not so that we can look at our life and say, look how good I am, look at me. We don't do it also to build up a resume to enter into God's kingdom when we pass from this life and say, look at all the good things I have done. I have earned the right to be in your presence. We are in God's presence through faith in Jesus Christ. We come in faith in Him, and the ethical life that we live is in obedience to who God is. It's a reflection of God's holiness. And so when we do not have the integrity of our words, we reflect negatively upon the holiness of God. We must be true to our word. So Jesus takes this statement. He takes the corruption that they, uh, understood, that they had in that day and time. He corrects that, and then he clarifies it for us in this passage. So let's look at that corruption. They said, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not fear, uh, swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. The other statements... This is the fourth of these six antithesis statements. The other four, other three, Jesus referred back to a specific passage in the Old Testament. In this one, uh, he refers to several, and he pulls it all together into one statement. Uh, for example, he takes Gen uh, Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Then Leviticus 19.12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Then Numbers 30 verse 2, if a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do accordingly to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So Jesus takes these three verses plus many others and combines this into this one statement. You have heard it said. And what they said was true. 
What they said was not a mis-teaching, mis uh, but as we look further into this passage, you'll see how they begin to take that true statement and to be able to corrupt it into something that they could live under. The standard by which God calls us to live, individuals knew, I cannot live by that standard, so I've got to reduce this standard down to something that's more acceptable to the lifestyle I want to live. And that's dangerous when we begin to do that, when we begin to take the Word of God, begin to re reduce it down to something that we find acceptable. And this is what was being done in that day and time. So Jesus said to them, you have heard it said, do not swear falsely by my name. But if you make a vow, make sure you commit, you do what you say. Jesus is giving to us in this statement that this is a true statement. This is a true thing to not swear falsely by the name of God or not to, uh, to fail to fulfill our, our pledges that we make. And so he makes that as a, you've heard it said, but let's look and see what they're really saying in this. And so he goes into the very next part of this passage and shows how this corrupt, how they had corrupted this, and he gives examples of this and corrects what they were doing. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. And again, this shows you how old this is. We can certainly make hairs that are white, black. But uh, uh, we do it all the time, don't we, out there? Even if you have hair, that's it, that, that, that helps if you got it. But, but anyway, Jesus is expressing through this is that what these individuals are doing is they're saying, do not swear by the name of God. So let's reduce it down and swear by heaven or swear by Jerusalem. I swear by my head. These are things that individuals are saying is, I am not going to violate this commandment, but I need to add some weight to what I am saying. What I am saying is obviously not believable. Someone does not believe that what I'm saying is true, so I've got to bring in something of weight to add to what I'm saying to make it sound like it's a, a vow, a promise. And so in order to not violate, I will not swear by God's name, I will swear by heaven. But Jesus said, but, but heaven is his, his home. He, heaven's where he is. You're, you're not avoiding God. There's nothing we can do to avoid the presence of God in what we say. So he was correcting this attitude of what they were doing. And notice what he said as he introduced that. He said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. This is what is called the emphatic I in the original language. In the original language in which the New Testament was written, the, the, the noun is connected to the verb in which you just have one word that says, I say. But here Jesus adds an emphatic personal pronoun. I, I say to you. And there are other times in Scripture Jesus uses that emphatic I. It's when he says, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And when he said, I, if I be lifted up, referring to his crucifixion, I will draw all men, men to me. When he said, I, 
I am the resurrection and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So when Jesus is making this statement, he's not just saying, okay, you've heard the scribes say this. I'm another scribe. I'm another teacher. I'm on the same plane with these individuals. You can take what they say or you can take what I say. You can take what some other great teacher says compared to what I say. You just get it all put together and look at what I'm saying. And if what I'm saying sounds pretty good, then you go ahead and follow me. But uh, you can take everybody's teachings. Let's just all put them all together and figure out Jesus is just one of those other really good teachers who is saying something pretty good for us to pay attention to. But we also can pay attention to others because they're all equal. But Jesus, by the use of that emphatic I, says, I, I say. He's distinct. He's different. After the resurrection, when he stood before his disciples, he said, all power has been given me. Now go. He is the Lord of lords. He is the King of kings. He is the one to whom we pledge and give our hearts in obedience and we follow him. And so when Jesus said to his disciples, I, I say to you, then he says, don't swear at all. And he uses all these phrases that they'd used. And while we look at those phrases and say, I've, you know, I've never sworn by heaven. I've never sworn by Jerusalem. I'm, I'm good on this, but what do we do? And I swear on a stack of Bibles, this is true. Uh, this is true across my heart. Hope to die. Stick a needle in my eye. Whatever other things we might say. And yet there are those even in our world, those around you, and hopefully it's not you, I swear to God it's true. We'll even bring in his name, knowing that within our heart this is not the truth. We make pledges, we make vows, we make those things in our heart in which we bring in a vow, trying to add weight to our words because we know our word alone is not good enough in the eyes of people. They see deep into your heart they see how you have not been true to your word, and so therefore you need something to add to that to say, I swear, it's the truth. We still do the very same thing that they were doing. They were bringing in these oaths and these pledges and these vows and trying to make it sound like externally look at the words I say and ignore the internal actions of my life. So what about making vows? What about making oaths? Does this mean we can't do those? Do you, when you're in a court and you pledge that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, that you will swear an oath in doing that, you pledge allegiance to this country, you swear an oath when you are elected to a political office, are these things put away? What about standing in front of an altar, family gathered, and you pledge your life to another person, and you make a vow to that person? Is this done away with? What Jesus was saying in this is, we do away with misleading 
and intentionally lying statements in our life. This is, there are other times in the, in the New Testament where people are under oath and they give an oath, they give a pledge. He is saying, refrain from making the misleading, taking that which is truth, lowering it down to a level in which you can budge, you can meet in that and say, okay, I will keep this until I will follow this and I will pledge that I will do this as long as, and you know that you've got this wide parameter in which you're giving yourself some wiggle room to get out of it if it doesn't meet what you want. But when you make a vow, when you make that pledge, you're true to your word. And so Jesus is calling all of us into being true to our words, not reducing the truth down to a level in which we can get by with it, but that as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, we stand by the highest ethical standards and we are true to our word. Because when we violate that, we cast dispersion upon the very holiness of God. When individuals look at us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, if we're not living by that standard, not so that we can have a relationship with God, but we live by it because we do have a relationship with God. But when we reduce it down where we begin to live without that ethical standard of integrity, with our words, it casts negative light upon the holiness of God. So Jesus said, do not swear falsely. Be true to your word. Then he follows up in giving some clarity to this in verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. And so what he's saying to us is that when we speak, we should be a person of integrity so that no matter what we're saying to whomever we're saying it, people know us as a person of integrity that when we simply say yes, they know our yes is yes. When we say no, they know our, our no is no. We do not need to say, I swear, yes, or I promise you, no. When we bring in those words, we're bringing in an, a little bit of weight of our own strength. But we should be able to stand upon the integrity of our words and say yes or no. It should be an indication of the integrity of our heart. These antitheses statements deal with the external. I do not, I do not murder, but yet I hate. I do not commit adultery, but yet I lust. I do not lie, but yet deep within my heart, there is untruth. As believers and followers of Christ, we should tell the truth. We should belong to the truth. We should live in the truth. We should walk in truth. Jesus said, walk in the light. Or John said about Jesus, walk in the light as he is in the light. We must be walking in the light of truth. As believers and followers of Christ, we are salt and light in this world. We should not be characterized by salty language or by dark words.
what we should say should be true. So this is what Jesus gives to us, is this call and this command to live a life of truth and holiness. The title for this message today, True to Your Word, is an encouragement to you that you be true to your word. But it's really a prayer. It's a prayer that we stand before God with this holy word that we study and read and that we come to know and we find within the pages of this word the strength and the help, the encouragement to live faithfully and obedient to him that we find within his word that it's like a mirror that points to us in our life where we may stray, we, we may have taken his truth and reduced it down to a level we can live by, where we have tried to reduce it down to something that we can get by with, that we have to raise it back up to the truth of what it says and what God's word is. And so this word, this title for this message is a prayer, Lord May I be true to your word. And by being true to your word, I can be true to my word. So each day, as you enter into that day, as you go into that day, may your integrity of your life be so that people see yes and no marks your life. That you say, today, Lord, I desire to be true to your word so that I can learn and grow in being true to my word. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your care for us, your love for us, the, the way that you give to us life and life eternal but not just life eternal to expect in the far future, far in eternity, but life lived for you today in obedience to your word. May it not just be external the way it looks, but may it be internally in our heart the integrity of our life. And may our words be true. We thank you for your true word that helps us to live in obedience. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.